We're in part five of a series called Worship. And so if this is your first time here, I want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, but you're coming on week five. So if you want to catch up, you can go back and to the podcast or Facebook Live and uh, catch up on the other weeks because we build upon each week. And so it's uh, just a bigger part of the bigger conversation. And so we'd love for you to catch up on that. It's a great way. Every week I review. So today I'm going to review just a little bit, not as much as I have in the past, because uh, I want to move into just the end of this and uh, really what I've learned and uh, how we can uh, really take this series and apply it and, and do something great with our lives from it. Okay. So here's the idea of, the, of worship. Uh, essentially worship, uh, when it comes to the biblical idea of worship and, and what God is asking us to do, I always try to take the idea uh, that he, something God is asking us and ask the question, why would he ask us? Like, what is the motive? What's the reason behind that thing? And so he says in scriptures, you know, you should have no other gods before him. You shouldn't make idols or create images or um, other gods in your image or create create gods out of your ideas, right? Because um, he, he said he needs to be priority. You need to put him as, as God, only God, because the other gods don't exist and they're just man-made. And uh, I asked Chris, why would that be such a big deal? Is he like an, an egotist that just needs our affection and our worship? No, because uh, he understands this principle that we all worship something and uh, what we worship, we eventually become like. And so um, our worship, really worship is just a response to what we value most. So in your life, Whatever you value most, your life will naturally order itself around that thing. So your value, you put at the top of the list, number one, whatever that is, money, relationships, family, work, everything else will begin to order itself around that thing. And God knows this, that whatever you choose to worship, eventually you'll become like. And so the reason he says worship him is because he knows he wants, if, if we worship him, we'll become like him and in his goodness and in his grace. If we don't, then we actually become like the things that we worship. And so we have to pay attention to what gets our attention, what we, what we worship, because eventually we'll become like that thing. So he's saying pay attention because I think that's the driving motive of what God is saying is choose wisely what you worship because it'll affect the path, it'll affect the journey, it'll affect who you become, it'll affect where you end up in life. We said biblical worship is the full life response. It's our head, it's our heart, it's our hands to who God is and what he's done. So worship is not just singing songs on Sunday, that is part of it. Uh, worship is not just reading the Bible or praying. That is part of it. Worship is a full life expression of really uh, from our head, from our heart, from our hands, our actions, our words, our beliefs, our intentions, our motives um, up to who God is and what he's done. That's what the Bible says is we respond out of who God is and what he's done for us. That's what worship is, is, is ultimately designed for. And really, it's ultimately about our, our values, what sits at the heart of our lives, what we value the most. Uh, last week, I talked about our, our hands, right, and our actions, and I said, make sure you pay attention to how you live. That's important. We didn't start with the outside. We started with the inside, the heart, the mind and the heart, and then eventually we got to the action. That's important, uh, but we didn't start there. We started with the, the inside. And last week, I said, really, the greatest test of what's inside of us is what comes out when we're tested, what spills out of it, out of us. Is it joy? Is it anger? Is it frustration? What is it? Because whatever it is, it's there. We've placed it there. And so we said, make sure you pay attention to that. And the verse we've used this whole five weeks is John 4. Uh, 23 to 24, uh, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, he says this to her, it is who you are and the way that you live, the way you live that count before God. It's who you are and the way you live. So it's, it's, it's the internal parts of you, but then it's also your actions and how you live this life. Your worship must engage your spirit, the unseen, the inside, and the pursuit of the outside, the truth. That's the kind of people the Father's looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. And so he, um, he's saying that there's, there's an inside part of worship and there's an external part of worship. The inside and the out, the seen and the unseen. 
in spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worshipers the Father's looking for, people that are honest in, 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 when, in their worship, but it's also a, a choice that they make on a daily basis. And so this series, we challenge you, what would it look like if we were the kind of people that were intentional about our worship and worshiped on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and Thursday, not just on Sunday mornings? Sunday mornings are important, but what would it look like if we saw our life as a lifestyle of worship, living for God? So today, I want to end this series by talking about making a difference with your life. Ultimately, there are some benefits that come with worship. Right? When we worship, we get peace, we get joy. Uh, Paul talks about when we, when we begin to, to pray and we begin to focus our attention on God, that something changes inside of us and something happens. We get alignment. We get perspective. Uh, there's a lot of great benefits, too, when we choose to worship God, the, the, the things that happen because of that worship. Uh, one of the things I talked about that, that happens is we get into alignment, right? So we, we can actually, because um, like our cars, like our bodies, little by little, we eventually get out of alignment because of the different stresses, the different things that come into our life. Uh, this last year, talking about alignment, this last year I've been, I've been trying to work on my posture. So for years, my fifth grade teacher told me, Eric, you need to work on your posture because you're slouching a little bit. And she tried to get me to pay attention. I wish I would have when I was in fifth grade because I could have probably fixed a lot back then. Uh, but I didn't. And so with what I do with cycling, what I do, reading, meetings, all that, there's a lot of sitting. And, and it, doesn't, it gets my spine in, in a position that's not healthy for it. So this, this last year, I fought, I've been fighting hard to get the curve back in my neck. And really to, to get the curve back in my lower spine and uh, get my posture better. So I've been going to a chiropractor uh, per, uh, every week uh, since the beginning of this year. And so we have some chiropractors in our church that are just a great couple. And they've been working with me to try to get my posture better. And uh, what, I, what I realized is every single week, my, my body somehow will get out of alignment. Uh, because of the stress, because of the environment, because of the influence, whatever's going on, eventually my 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 spine will get out of adjust, out of alignment. And on the, when I go in every week to get an adjustment, it's it's interesting how my my body got out just that little bit. They call it subluxation, so our spine kind of gets out. And uh, every week they'll adjust it, and it gets back into position. What's really interesting is this couple. They're part of our uh, small group uh, this last semester. Great couple, and uh, we've been talking about. Um, chiropractic care and what they do with the physical body and what I do, what I do as a pastor with, with, with God's help to help people with the spiritual part of our body, right? So they're adjusting me physically to get me back in alignment. And on Sundays when I get up here to speak, I'm saying, God, how can you help us get back in alignment? Because little by little throughout the week, because of stress, because of pressure, because of our influences, we slowly get out of alignment from what God has for our lives, right? I, I do at least. And, and that's why Sundays are important because we have a moment in the week where we say, God, we're starting the week off with you, but help us get back into alignment. And part of worship does this. It keeps us into alignment with God. And so when I go in and get adjusted in my, in my spine, it gets me back into, into, the, right, into the order, right, so that I can be healthy and have, have a, a longer, um, healthy life is really the goal, so I can be the healthiest person I could possibly be as I go forward. Well, on Sundays, when it comes to your spirit, when it comes to your soul, that's exactly what we're trying to do is saying, hey, what if we got in alignment? Because throughout the week, if you're like me, little by little, life becomes more and more about you and more about your needs and your desires, all that. And you slowly get pulled in all these different directions, and you get out of alignment from what God is saying you should be doing, what, you, what he has for you. And so every week as we do this, really what we're saying is we, our attention needs to be on God. And, and, and true worship, real worship, it centers on God, not on us. And when we, when we center our lives on God, he begins, and we put him first, uh, we order him correctly, order it correctly. It actually says, the Bible says he brings us into alignment. He actually leads us on the path where we should go when we get the order correct. And when the order is incorrect, we actually get, we get the results that he tells us. The results won't work. That you'll, you'll eventually find your life drifting and going in different directions. And so, so each week that I stand here before you, 
I just want to say thank you for, for being faithful in your in coming to church. Um, thank you for, for being a part of the Grove. I, I find it as a privilege to be able to get to do what I get to do. And the fact that you guys would come and be a part of a community that is saying, how can we make a difference in our lives? What can we do um, to, to make Santa Fe better, to make our families better? And, uh, on a, and every given week, my desire is to give you something that you'll leave with uh, that hopefully God is inspiring you to say, would you do this with your life? So you can live uh, the best life that you possibly could. And, and in fact, as a church, part of our, our strategy from the beginning was said, what would it look like if we started a church that went after those who were unchurched, those that, were, that, are, that are far from God, that, those that don't want anything to do with church? What if we created an environment that would engage them to actually experience God's love and experience his grace? And from the ground up, when we started the church, we said that. Let's make a church that's not just about me, right? So it's, church for me would be like a, a service that really makes us feel good, like because it comes, it's built around religion, about what we do, how we look, all those things. And we said rather than making a church where we just come make it about us and the things we like, that we would engage those that are, that are unchurched, and they'd be able to um, encounter and know God. Uh, here's, here's the challenge with doing that. Sometimes um, trying to uh, create environments where unchurched come is, um, we have to change the language that we use, right? And when, I, when I'm reading scriptures in the Bible, sometimes I have to pause and, 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 and explain something that maybe an unchurched person that doesn't read the Bible wouldn't know. Um, but we made it a conscious decision to say, what if we create an environment to help them um, to experience God's love? And so every single week, our team shows up really early uh, to prepare uh, environment um, and, to, and to help people to experience God's love. Because here's the thing, I, I think, think about this for a moment. And this might be you. If you came today, this might even be your story. You know, imagine how much courage it took for some, some people that on a given, every given week to just walk through the doors of the theater to church. Like there's this, this um, if you didn't know anybody or if you're going through something in life, you're struggling, it takes an, a lot, an immense amount of courage just to walk through those doors to say, man, I'm looking for something more. Um, maybe it's here. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm trying to find something else. Um, and then every single week, there'll be people that come through. I can imagine the, the couples that come and, you know, as they're coming to church, they're really wanting to work on their marriage, but they're fighting the whole way here. And they get to the parking lot, and it takes everything within them just to get out of the car, take their kids, and go to church. We really they want to just get in their car and go home because of the fight, right? If that was you, thanks for sticking it out. Thanks for coming in. I pray that, that today this, something will change, that, you, that you'll have a better day. Because um, that's really what, what church is about. It's, it's not, church is not about per, people being perfect and everybody having it together. In fact, if you, if you have that idea, just know that we're all imperfect. We all have issues, all right? And, and part of, like you just said, the worship God's looking for, those who are honest about that. Say, God, I have issues. Sometimes my heart gets out of alignment. Sometimes my heart gets distracted with things that aren't, aren't healthy, aren't good. And in the middle of this, God is saying, yes, I understand that. Now let's get back into alignment. Let me help you on this journey. And so God is inviting us to center our lives on him, get order it with him. Um, in fact, on a, on a weekly basis, as I, as I communicate and speak, we have people that come to our church. And in some cases we've had in the past, people have told us, you know, I, I told God I was going to give him one more chance. And I came to church looking for something, and he really, he really spoke to me. He really, he really did something in my life today. And they came back, and they came back, and they kept coming back. It was great. Um, so, since the beginning of our church, one of the things that I hear a lot about um, people that come is when they, when, they, when they come to our service, like this is one story of a lady in our church who was um, unchurched for most of her life. And she came, and uh, the first service she came, she sat in, and she cried the whole service. And she said she came back the second week, same thing. She came to service during the music, during the speaking, and then just, just cried through the service. And for four weeks, every single week, that was her story. She'd come into the, church, into the service and cry through the whole service. 
On the fourth Sunday, she gave her life to Christ and said, God, I want to commit my life to Christ and gave it to him. And then shortly after that, she got water baptized, and, which is pretty awesome. And uh, so an unchurched person experiences God's presence and love. So I'm telling her story a few years back, and I finished the, the service, and the lady comes to me and said, how would you know my story? And I'm like, that wasn't your story. That was her story. And she's like, no, that's exactly my story. Came for four weeks and just sat through the service and just, just sensed something different here. Um, and it's not uncommon people will tell me that. They came to church, and they just they sensed that there was something different. Um, and, and here's why. Um, because for us, what we're saying is, God, we, want, we can't do this without you. Like, we can stand up here and say all these nice things, but if you don't touch the heart, if you don't touch the person, really all, a lot of this is in, in vain, and it's not going to make a difference. But, God, we trust that you will. So if you're wondering, like, why do you start? So if you're trying to create a church the unchurched would like to attend and, and, and be engaged in, why do you start with music where they don't understand? Well, because it sends a, a very clear message to all of us every single week that as Sunday starts, it's the first day of the week, and the very first thing we're going to do as a church is we're going to recognize that God is God and we're not. We're going to recognize that he is worthy of praise, that He is that we're grateful for life, that we're grateful for what he does and shows up. And as we sing these songs, something happens. The atmosphere actually begins to change. The environment begins to change. When, when our team shows up early on Sunday mornings to set up the stage and the lights and, uh, and, and the signs and some of our team members go and get the donuts. Anybody grateful for the donuts? Krispy Kremes, come on. And they get the coffee prepared, and you get here, and you put your coffee, and you get your donut, and orange juice or banana, whatever it is you're getting, and you come in service, and you sit down, and you're ready for the service. Isn't that great? It just sets you up for a great service, right? Well, we do that intentionally. We want, we want everybody that comes through our doors to begin to experience and know that God, first of all, he loves them. We love them. But, but it's, there's so many reasons people don't go to church and don't pursue God, um, and there's all these barriers that keep them. Well, what we're trying to do, as they get from the, under the parking lot from then to this moment, we're trying to remove barriers. And so we want somebody to recognize them and say, hey, we see you. Thanks for coming. A friendly greeter, right? We're so grateful for our, our team that's out there greeting. Their job is so important because they're the first impression of our church. Um, and when they get to the coffee, they're like, wow, coffee and donuts. This is awesome, right? And, and the music in the hallway is very intentional of what we play. Uh, we play some Christian music. We also play some mainstream music. Why? Because we want an unchurched person to recognize something that's familiar that begins to break down the barriers where they don't, they don't feel like this is so foreign or different, but there's something they can relate with, right? And they, and they come in. They, we're slowly helping prepare the environment and the atmosphere. As we sing songs and we bless God, as we celebrate what he's done in our lives, it begins to change the atmosphere. When that person comes in, they sense and sense something that's different. So worship is very important. What we, do, what we do on Sundays is really important. Now, if we do it on a weekly, daily basis, um, the impact can be massive and huge. Because not only are we changing the environment here, but we actually could be changing the environment in our home and in our workplace, wherever we go. And, and so when I stand up in, in front of people and speak about, um, you know, trusting God with our lives, it could be a challenge. What you need to pray for me, that God would give me the creativity and the ability to speak the words that he wants us to speak, but in a way that would relate to people. Because um, sometimes, the truth is, sometimes as a pastor, this is how I feel. You know, it's, um, it's like a story I heard of these two pastors who stood on the side of a, a street and they hold these signs. And one says, um, uh, the end is near. And then the other sign says, turn around before it's too late. And so they're holding these signs, and the first car comes speeding by, and he says, back off, you religious nuts, quit bothering me. And, and the car just speeds by, and they go around the turn, you hear brakes and squealing tires, and then you hear a big splash. And one pastor looks at the other pastor and says, maybe we should shorten the sign just to say, bridge is out of order. It might be easier, right? I feel like that sometimes on Sundays. I'm trying to tell you the bridge is out of order. The path you're going on isn't working. And sometimes I get up here and say, hey, the, the, the end is near. Uh, you should turn around before it's too late. And, and you hear religious jargon and just a, a lot of words, right? 
And so for you, I'm saying, God, what are those simple ways, messages that you want to speak to be able to get somebody's attention? Because uh, the truth is, all, a lot of times people come to the, our service, they're on a path that is no good. And, and they need to be woken up. And here's the thing about, about being lost. Sometimes when you're lost, you don't even know you're lost. Sometimes when, you're, when you've given yourself to what the Bible calls um, um, our, our own pleasures, our own desires, um, we, we give in to sin, we give in to uh, the opposite of what God has for us. Um, after a while, we, we, the Bible actually says when you, when you, when you sin, you, you invite death into your life, into your relationships, into your body. Um, and when you sin, the more you sin, actually the more calloused you become to what's true and what's not. And the Bible warns us that in a culture, when culture begins to call things that are bad good and things that are good bad, you have to really pay attention because we're getting, our, we're getting very confused to what really works and what doesn't work. And then culture just says, hey, just chase what feels good. If you can't find, figure it out, just, just do whatever feels good at the time. Just go for it. It's called hedonism. It's just letting your feelings and emotions lead the way, your pleasures. And God will say, no, that will always mislead you. It's like a story I heard of a pastor who went to China on a missions trip, and he went out to, to train pastors in China, and him and his church, their group, they were there. Well, him and his wife had to leave early, and the group was going to stay a few days longer, and they had to catch a plane to get back to the States. And So uh, they're wrapping up with the group, and they go to the, to the street, and they, they flag down a car, a uh, taxi, and they, they, they begin to put their, their um, luggage into the car. And as, as the car, as they're about to get in, the pastor, the Chinese pastor runs over and says, Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris, um, I need to show you something before you leave. Just just come here, look at me, look look at me. And and Pastor Chris looks at his watch. He's like, man, if we don't leave now, like there's a chance we'll miss our plane. And I mean, it's expensive to have to re- re- get another plane from China, the states. He's like, I can't. We really got to go. And they're already mostly in the car. And the pastor won't stop. He's like, the Chinese pastor says, no, no, you have to come. This is before you leave. You have to see this thing. Just come on, let's come. So he's like, okay, well maybe we'll just make the, the taxi wait. He's like, no, no, just get your stuff. I'll have to show you. And so, so Pastor Chris looks at his watch like, man, we're going to be late. We're going to miss this. So he's so frustrated and lets out a sigh, gets his, his luggage and walks with the pastor around the corner. And the pastor said, he's like, what, what do you have to show him? What's the big deal? He says, no, no, Pastor Chris, that is not a real taxi. That is the kind of car that picks you up, takes you into the middle of nowhere, beats you to a pulp, takes all your stuff, and then just leaves you for dead. He's like, I, I had to tell you, warn you without giving them, to, uh, without them realizing that I knew who they were. So I had to bring you back to the side. And Pastor Chris said, I am so grateful that when that somebody knew that I was getting into a car that was going to lead me to a destination I didn't want to go, was able to stop and say, how can I, how can I, can I help you in this moment to see it? Because here's the truth. Every single week I get up here and I speak to people who are getting in taxis and making life decisions. They're getting in a car, and that car is going to take them off into this direction that is no good for them. But they don't even know it. But I do. Sometimes because God tells me, sometimes because I've experienced there, I've seen others go down that path. And you might say, well, yeah, it didn't work for them, but it's going to work for me. No, no. God says there's a path. It does seem right, but in the end, it leads in death. And a lot of times the paths and the cars and choices we make, they're leading us, leading us and leading us away from what God has. And God is looking for people to say, would somebody just stand up and tell them, hey, don't get in that car. It's going to lead to death. It's going to lead you to a place that you will not, you will not like the end results. And so every single week, we prepare our services. We prepare the, the tables and the, and the G kids are setting up. And our team works so hard to create an atmosphere to show one that we're prepared, that we're expecting people to come. Mainly, we're expecting guests who are far from God, who their life is not working. They're struggling in their marriage. They're struggling at work. They're just saying there has to be more to life than this. All my choices are not leading me to something good. And they come through our doors and we're able to greet them and, and, and say, hey, we have something good for your life, something better. And then when somebody actually... Uh, does something with what, what they've heard, and they begin to live it out, 
it's amazing to see the transformation in the lives of those people. Um, we celebrate it. When people give their lives to Christ, they get baptized, they get involved in the team, and they begin to serve. It's just it's an amazing thing. Um, and so we, we want to be a church that makes a difference with our lives. And God wants you to make a difference with your lives. In fact, our church is designed, designed around four things. We want people to know God. So every single Sunday, we give an opportunity for people to know God and have a relationship with him. The second thing is we want people to find freedom. That means that we want them to get in a small group to be able to settle their, their yesterday so they can move into the future with freedom. Small groups are really important for us as a church. Number three is we want people to discover purpose. Here's a, a, a unique purpose for your life, and we want you to help discover that. Growth Track is a part of that process, help you discover something about yourself that you didn't know. And the fourth thing is make a difference with your life. We want every single person to realize that you can make a difference with your life. In fact, you were designed that way. Um, in, in high school, I took a psychology class. I love psychology. I love to study about the brain and about the psyche and all that stuff. And I just love science. And I, I love it so much because I, I, it's always pointing back to God and the scriptures. Like what he says in scriptures, it's like what we're learning in, 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 uh, about the, the way the body works. Well, one of the things that I learned in psychology is, is it was a, as a pyramid, and they called it Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. If you've ever been in psychology class, maybe other classes you've seen this before, it's a little pyramid. And on the pyramid, it has these, these, these needs that we all have as human beings. And, and the bottom one, it starts with um, our, our physical needs. You can go to that next one. Yeah, physical needs. And this is not a pyramid, but if you can just imagine a big pyramid, that bottom line would be physical needs. We all have it, right? Food and, and, and um, air and water. Like we, if we don't have those things, we die. So we, there's this, this need that's real. It's a physical need. And then we have a safety need. There's something in us that craves security and safety, right? So we're, we don't have to live in danger or fear. There's, and then we have love needs. This is relationships. We're designed to have in, interaction with other people. Esteem needs. This is where life, it be, it, we, we see something about ourselves and others see something about us that's unique and that, that, that builds upon that. And uh, then we have cognitive needs. Cognitive needs means that we're, we're, we're all desired to be engaged mentally you know, and to learn something to, to continue to grow. Um, and then we have aesthetic needs. There's something in us that just craves beauty. We admire a sunset. We admire the mountains. We, we, we look up at the skies and we see things. We like how people, you know, clothes and how they look on us. And there's just something about this, this needs to, to, to enjoy the things that we see. And in the top of the pyramid, at the very, very top, this is what Maslow called it was, it was the highest need. He called it self-actualization need, the needs to, to realize something about ourselves. And the, the pinnacle of his, his triangle was self. Self-actualization, realizing something about how we're wired, how we, how we live, the way we think, even some purposes for our life, things like that, right? And, um, and that, that was it. That's what I learned. That was the, the pinnacle of our needs that we have is when you can get to the top of self-actualization, you've actually reached to be a healthy person. Well, he wrote about it. He never put it on his pyramid. And then later, psychologists and sociologists begin to do, look at human nature, and they said there's something else that's missing in this. It's not complete. And so, in fact, they've added it. And they found that there's something even higher than self-actualization, and it's called transcendence need. That there's something in each and every one of us that looks for something beyond ourselves. It transcends you and me. Like our life has to, is, is designed to make a difference that's outside of ourselves. Like it transcends just myself, and it goes to a community. It goes to the wired world. There's something inside every single one of us that has these needs I just listed. But at the top of that, there's this, this place that says, Life doesn't make sense until you begin to make a difference with your life in the lives of other people. And when you realize that, it just changes everything. And so our church is designed to say, how can we begin to reach that? Because together we can do more than by ourselves. And if you can discover your purpose, you'll begin to make a difference in your life. You'll be able to make a difference. Um, so last week I, I read a scripture about um, 
using our lives to make a difference. And uh, Paul and Silas, God used them to make a difference in, in a life of a young teenage girl who was demon-possessed. And I told the story. And uh, for second service, after I told the story, I, I read a scripture from the Old Testament, and I, I had a little wardrobe malfunction for second service. So if you miss service, you can go watch Facebook Live. You'll see it. I thought this object lesson would be really funny, really good, and it actually turned out to be really awkward. And so second service, sorry about that awkwardness for a while. Um, but I hope the point was made. But I, I read a scripture about Paul and Silas, and, and here's the story. They, they, they were doing good, and they got punished for doing good. Um, so they find themselves in prison. And, and the scripture says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas find themselves um, in, in this place where, where uh, they are uh, in prison for doing good. Um, I'm sure there would be maybe a little disappointment there going on. But it says that instead of focusing on what was wrong and what wasn't working, they turned their situation to prayer and singing songs to God. So they chose, essentially, like last week the verse was, you, you, um, you overcome the spirit of heaviness with the, by putting on the garments of praise. So I, I took off my shirt that represented the, the heaviness or depression or um, that, that spirit that just overwhelms us, right? And I, and I say you take that off and you actually put on the, the garments of praise. You actually choose to begin to praise God and recognize what is right about the world, what is right about God. And this is what they did. Um, what I didn't read is what happened after this, right? Um, so they, they made the choice to do this. And this is the next verse. It says, suddenly there was a massive, massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. So they choose not to be focused on the wrong thing. And in all rights, they probably could have. They're doing good. Now they're in prison for it. And, and, and they're at, at midnight. But it says they begin to, 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 to change the atmosphere by praising and thanking God and worshiping him. And it says the doors flew open and the chains fell off of every prisoner. They were set free. The jailer, who was in charge of the prison, he woke up and saw the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. It was his responsibility to take care of the prisoners. He thought they were gone. So instead of having the Romans kill him in a horrible way, he thought he would kill himself. So uh, Paul shouts and says, don't kill yourself. Stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here, which means there's something about Paul there. He was aware of something. And the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon. So then the story gets a little darker, right? So not only are they in prison, and it's not only the darkest time of the day, midnight, um, but now they're also, look where they are. They're in the darkest part of the prison, the lowest part, the dungeon. So any any... Any of us would probably be like, man, this is not a good situation. But Paul and Silas turned that situation into a place to praise. And it says, he turned the lights on, fell down, and trembled before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with with him and with all who lived in his household. So it's midnight. (laughs) <laughs> this earthquake happens. The prisoner is set free. Now this guy brings his family and says, all right, listen to Paul and Silas. And they share with them. And it says, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And, and he and everyone in their household were immediately baptized. So they committed life to Christ. They got baptized. Uh, he brought them into his house and set a mill before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. This is all happening through the middle of the night, right? He wakes up his family, like, guys, you have to hear this. This is pretty awesome. Th- th- something just happened. And in the middle of their darkness, in the middle of their, their night, God does something awesome. He shows up. It says the next, uh, because they all believe, they celebrate. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to the, tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, uh, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. Here's the story, all right? 
they take an environment that is no good and they transform the atmosphere and they do something there. There's, there's the result of them turning their attention to God and not focusing on what wasn't working, but on who God is and what he's done. And it says all of a sudden the atmosphere changed and the people around them, the prisoners were set free. On Sunday mornings when people come in and people are struggling with a lot of things, in some, some cases they're even prisoners to addictions, prisoners to their own um, selfish desires and, and their own sin. As we praise, as we sing, as we worship, the atmosphere changes. The good news is this doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings. This can happen at your house. This can happen at your workplace. This can happen at the store. Wherever you go, you carry that, that attitude and that posture of worship towards God. You make a difference with your life. So last week I said the greatest test of what's inside of us is what comes out when we're tested, right? So I, I mentioned last week that, you know, some people choose to, to have a pity party or a pity me party. Uh, well, this week, I had a very hard week, uh, hard day on Wednesday. Um, the week was just some challenge that came along with it, but Wednesday especially was pretty tough. And um, that evening, we got home, and uh, I was just tired. Uh, emotionally, I was drained, just some things that took place of the day. And um, they weren't all necessarily bad things, but just drained my emotions. And so I just wasn't feeling 100%. I wasn't feeling very good. And uh, so my wife and the kids wanted to go out, and I'm like, no, you just go out. I'm going to stay home. And so I stayed home, and they left, and for a little bit, it was nice. It was quiet. But then I was alone with myself, and I just sit on the couch. And, um, you know, when you're not feeling good, maybe a little emotional or, de- or depressed or whatever, your mind starts thinking about all the things that aren't working, right? And I start having this pity party, pity me party, where it's like, man, life's not working. I'm trying so hard. Nobody else cares. Am I the only one that ever does stuff? And you with me? You ever had that day? Yeah? Nobody? Okay, I hear a couple laughter out there, but not a lot. Um, but we have these moments where we're like, oh, just, it's, it's a, nothing's working. And, and in the middle of me feeling a little down and a little gloomy and just overwhelmed and tired, um, I realized what wasn't there. In that moment, all the good things weren't there. It was only negative. It was only bad. And so I thought, you know, it'd probably be good for me to preach, to, to practice what I preach, right, that I talked about on Sunday. So I said, hey, here's, here's a moment to practice what I just taught everybody to do. So instead of being gloomy and depressed and just sitting in my, my own, you know, whatever, uh, emotions, I said, I'm going to do something different. So I got my phone out, and I put on one of the, uh, an album that I like to, that has some worship music, and I put it on, just kind of began to let that just kind of fill the air, and I began to thank God for what was working. I thank God for the things that I did have, for an amazing wife and for amazing kids and for the opportunity that I got to do that day. That was draining, but it was, it was a privilege, and um, just I began to look on the right things. And then I went a step further. Um, I got my guitar out, and I got my um, the computer, and I, I began to sing some songs. Uh, see, for years, my wife and I, we've, we've worked to staff pastors on the churches, and worship was part of what we would do. We would lead worship. So every week, it was not uncommon for me to have my guitar and preparing songs and preparing, that I would just sit, I would pray and read my Bible and, and have these moments. Well, as a lead pastor, I don't always get those opportunities now, um, mainly because I don't choose it, but this day I chose to do that. And, and like I talked about with, from, from the Old Testament of saying, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off the garments heaviness i'm gonna put on the garments of praise so i picked up a guitar and uh some of the songs you know they just what's so encouraging about the worship um they talk about how we're in a we're in the middle of a moment and whatever we're feeling like paul and silas maybe this was like the song they were singing probably not but just can imagine with me right they're in jail, and they're, they're sitting there, and maybe they're a little bummed, like, man, we were trying so hard. Mm-hmm. 
This is the song I sang when I was feeling down. I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is. In the highlands and the heartache all the same. Whoa, whoa. Wherever I walk through, wherever I am, your name can move mountains wherever I stand. If ever I walk through the valley of death, sing through the shadow my song of ascent. Whatever I walk through, wherever I am, your name can move mountains wherever I stand. If ever I walk through the valley of death, sing through the shadows my song of ascent. Whoa, whoa. Can you imagine with me what takes place in that moment when we begin to focus on something that's not happening? So instead of focusing on the negative, on the bad, I begin to say, God, I want to focus on you. And this great song, song I love, it talks about that wherever we find ourselves, in the middle of the difficulties, God's still there. And as we face the challenges, whatever we go through, he's right there in the middle. And I begin to recognize, God, I'm overwhelmed. Sometimes I'm out of my element. Sometimes I'm just not feeling well emotionally, whatever, because I pour out and I pour out and I pour out. And if I'm not pouring in, I, I can, you know, get to that moment. In that moment, I said, God, I'm not going to focus on what is not right about me or what's not right at this moment. I'm going to just focus on who you are and what you've done. And you know what happened in my house? The atmosphere changed. I don't know if my family realized it or not. But when they left, I wasn't too happy. When they came back, it's not that I was, like, super happy. I just, I was a different person. I was ready to engage. I was ready to... Uh, to talk uh, where I wasn't before. Why? Because of a moment where I just said, God, I'm going to focus on what you are, who you are, and on what you've done in my life. This is the power of worship. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He's enthroned in those praises. That something happens when we begin to say, God, even when I face this mountain that's in front of me, I'm still going to worship you. God, even when I don't know what's going on, I'm going to sing your praise. It actually says he comes and inhabits. He lives in the middle of those praise. So when we sing a song like, I'm going to look to the sun, and we're all singing our, from our hearts, and we're celebrating, and we're clapping, and we're lifting our hands, he's pleased in that moment. He comes and inhabits the praises of people. So notice what's not there, death and discouragement and lies. So when somebody walks into our, our theater, and we're singing and we're worshiping, all of a sudden that stuff can't stay because where God is, that stuff has to leave. And that's why the environment of what we do on Sundays is so important because we get together. But the good news is you can do this on, at your workplace. You can do this at your home. You can do this in your car. And I'll encourage you, this needs to become something that's a part of your life where you say, God, I'm going to focus on what is right, not what is wrong. That's the surprise that I had for this series is I didn't realize the importance of thanks, thankfulness and gratitude, how it's tied and attached to our walk with God. Because you can't hold both dissatisfaction and gratitude at the same time. You can't hold selfishness 
and, and thankfulness to who God is and what he's done for your life at the same time. Like it's either you're going to be selfish or you're going to recognize that God is good. You're going to hold your depression and your uh, spirit of heaviness or you're going to say, I'm going to put on the garments, praise, I'm going to do something different. That was a surprise for me as I was going through the series of realizing the importance of just saying on a daily basis, God, I'm so thankful for this moment. Because when I don't do that, I get out of alignment. I begin to see things that aren't working. I begin to focus on the things I don't like. And it gets me off track. I don't know about you, but when you start your day off by like, man, nothing's working, nothing's working, you can expect your day to be like getting in that car, going off into like the wilderness and not ever coming back. It's just not going to work out good. So we talk about the results cycle for this, this series. And the reason is because it's so important to realize that the results and who you're becoming is tied to what you think and what you believe about yourself and about the world, about God. Like your thoughts about God are so important. And your beliefs always inform your behavior. So that day, my values and my beliefs at that moment was life is all about me and it's not working very good, so I'm going to just focus on me. Well, my behavior was I'm no fun to be around. So the quality of relationship was family's like, we got to get out of here. Let's get away from dad. He's no fun. And the results was I had, I didn't have, I was alone in my misery, right? So nothing changed until something changed. And that was me saying, what am I going to choose to believe about this moment? What am I going to choose to believe about myself? What am I going to choose to believe about how I'm feeling? And the moment I changed to say, man, there's something I could celebrate. There's something I'd be thankful for. It's not as bad as we always think it is. It's not as bad as focusing on that. And the moment I changed my beliefs, my behavior began to change. And my quality of relationship with, my, with God changed. My results were different. The atmosphere changed. So this, what about you when it comes to your life? The way you beat the cycle is saying, God, help me with my heart. Help me to see what I'm not seeing. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 73, it's a song from Asaph. He says it like this. He says, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. So the first line is kind of a, it just leads you into knowing the, the end results of the psalm, but it turns pretty dark pretty quickly. It says this, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. So he's on this tree. He's, 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 he's about to get in the wrong car. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And notice what he says. I envied the proud when I saw their, them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so he- healthy and strong. So Asaph, he pulled up his Instagram feed, his Facebook feed. And he began to scroll through all of his friends, all these people that he's at Facebook friends with and, 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 and following, right? That's what he's doing. He's like, I'm looking at the lives of all these people. Just have it all together. They don't have any troubles like other people. Like These people aren't even human. They're not even normal. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled, jeweled necklace. And they clothe themselves with cruelty. cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. He's looking through this feed, right? Can you picture this? And he's like, man, look at these guys. They don't even try and they have everything they want. Like, I'm working so hard. And they, they just get it. They scoff. They speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and the words, their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what is happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? So he's having that pity party, right? Pity me, like, man, life is not working. It's no good. He begins to focus on everything that's not right, and he begins to look at everybody else, and out of the envy, it was a heart motive, he began to compare himself to others in his life. I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. This could have been Paul and Silas. This could have been what they could have been saying in that moment, being in prison. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I try to understand why the wicked prosper and what a difficult task it is. 
So he's just sitting there like, man, why does life work for them and doesn't work for me? What's going on here? And then it says there's a change in the psalm. He says this, then I went to your sanctuary, O God. Then I went to the grove on a sunny morning, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, they are on a slippery path and about to slide over the cliff to their own destruction. The path they're choosing is leading to something that's not good. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at the dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And he has this, this aha moment, like, oh, wow. So my focus was on the wrong thing, and it actually wasn't, the issue was not what they had and what I didn't have. The issue was actually what I was focused on. It's really about my heart being bitter, and I was torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my hand, my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destination. Who am I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything else on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. This is what we desire every single moment. That people come through these doors and it's that moment they say, I went to the house of God. I went to the sanctuary of the Lord. I went and I worshipped, right? Because what happens when we worship? We turn our attention away from what's not working. We turn our attention to who God is and what he's done. And in that moment, the atmosphere begins to change. Our perspective begins to change. And, And there's a realization that God says, hey, there's something not right with your heart. Like you're so focused on yourself all the time, Eric. You're so selfish. You're so full of what you want to do that you sometimes miss what others want to do. And it's that moment God begins to point at something in our own life. We realize, man, there's something here that God wants to change. And on Sundays, our desire is that we would have the aha moments where we really begin to say, God, what is it? And out of that, we begin to say, man, he's good. I'm going to worship him for who he is, what he's done. And then we say, I'm going to tell everybody about what he's done. I'm going to use my life to help others. So true worship, it centers on God, not on us. And on Monday, at work, and in your car, if you will center your worship on God and say, God, you be the tension, you be the focus, Something begins to change in the, in the room, in the atmosphere. So worship is the full life response, our head, our heart, and our hands to who God is and what he's done. And God is inviting us with our life. Will you now live that way so you can make a difference with your life? So here's my challenge for today. My challenge is this. Would you choose to change the environment through worship? Would you choose to change the environment through worship? We all need adjustments, right? Sunday's an adjustment. For me, man, it's, it's a time to say, God, I want to be in alignment with you. Maybe, maybe you're like me, and on a daily basis, you need a little bit of adjustment in your life, an attitude adjustment, emotional adjustment, some kind of adjustment. Well, worship is that place where you begin to say, I'm going to focus on what is working, not what is not working. I'm going to focus on who God is and what he's done, not just on myself. So through gratitude, through praise, through thankfulness, we begin to say, God, I'm going to choose to hold this. I'm going to choose to put on the garments of praise, not hold the spirit of heaviness. Um, I, I heard a statement from this man. He said like this, when I was young and free, and my imagination had no limits. I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it, too, seemed unmovable. As I grew into my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me, but alas, they would have none of it. And now, as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I might have changed my family. 
from their inspiration and encouragement, I would then have been able to better my country. And who knows, I might have even changed the world. It's an inscription on a tomb of an Anglican bishop in Westminster Abbey. It's a reflection looking back over life saying, man, if I had to focus on the right thing, because we all want to make a difference. We all want to change the world, but it always starts with us. And hopefully this series, this is my heart, and that you realize that your worship, to what you worship is so important because it's leading you somewhere. You know, sometimes people will say, man, you, as a Christian, you're missing out all the fun. You're, you're missing out in life. You don't get to choose the things that are, that, that, are, that are enjoyable right in front of you because you have all these regulations and rules. Well, no, I'm just choosing to say no right now so I can have something better down the road. You're choosing something now, but you don't realize what's down the road. You're getting in a vehicle that's not leading you somewhere good. I'm trusting God is helping me get in the right vehicle to take me to the place that he knows I'd be most satisfied with anyways. So here, you're here today. Um, maybe you're, you'd, you'd be brave enough to say, I've been in the wrong car for too long, and I've been doing my own thing. And today I want to be honest and humble enough to say, God, I don't want to, I don't want to go in that path anymore. So the Bible calls it repentance. It says that when you find yourself going down the wrong path, you need to stop and turn around and go towards God that we return to God's way. It means that the way we've been thinking needs to change so we can begin to think a different way. And some of us in this room today, the reason you're here is because God is trying to get your attention and saying, wake up, you're in the wrong vehicle. That path is no good for you. Would you wake up and trust me to lead you in a better way? Do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service. If that's you and you'd be brave enough to say today, I need a new direction. I need a new life. I need God to help me. I'm not going to call you to the front, but I'll lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. Lead you in a prayer of relationship saying, God, I can't do it without you. This week I prayed for you. We have other people that have been praying for you because we expected you to come knowing that you're looking for answers and God is saying, I'm your answer. I'm the solution you've been looking for. If you'll trust me on this journey, I'll lead you in a way that you'll never regret. It's not an easy path, but it's a fulfilling path. So today if you're here, and that's you. Would, you. would you do me a favor? Just raise your hand right where you're at right now. Just say, that's me. God, I can't do it without you. Forgive me. God, help me. Awesome. See a few hands. So good. Awesome. Anybody else? One more chance? Thank you. Feel free to raise your hand. Um, I'll lead you in a prayer. If you're a Christ follower in this room, would you pray with us? We're not praying alone. Just say this prayer with me. Say, Father God, today I acknowledge that I cannot do it without you. Forgive me of my choices, of my sin, of my past. Help me to have a new way, a new life, a new direction. Lead me and guide me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place so I can have a way to you. I put my trust in you today. Help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church.